welcome to the latest episode of the ETF show, hosted by myself, Tom Bailey, ETF editor at Interactive Investor. So today we're joined by Hector McNeil, co-CEO of Han ETF, which in my view is one of the most innovative ETF issuers right now. So hello, Hector. Uh, perhaps it's worth introducing yourself and Han ETF a bit further. Yeah, hi, Tom. Thanks for having me today. Uh, always a pleasure to, uh, to speak to you. Yeah, thanks for your kind words about uh, Han ETF as well. Uh, I mean, I think the... Uh, I think exactly right. Uh, you know, funny enough, Hans, my fourth ETF business that I founded and uh, set up, I was one of the founders of ETF Securities, then Boost uh, ETP, and then uh, Wisdom Tree Europe. And I would say I'm proudest of, uh, of Han, really. And uh, the main focus for Han was always to do something very different than uh, what the other uh, ETF firms are doing out there, because we wanted to answer the question when an uh, investor says, well, I, I know 20 ETF firms, why do I need a 21st? You know, we want to be able to say we're going to do, uh, you know, value-added different things. So we focus very much on active management, thematics, smart beta, and niche-type ETFs. So we're bringing something very different than the iShares of the world. Yeah, so I think when it comes to thematic ETFs, hand ETF is, is one of the kind of leading issues in the UK. So perhaps you could start by explaining more broadly the history of thematic ETFs, when they start and why. Funny enough, when we were at ETF Securities uh, back in mid-2000s, we did a whole range of uh, thematic ETFs. Uh, you know, that no longer exist anymore because they were probably a little bit too early for the time. So we did things like clean energy and nuclear and coal and shipping and solar energy, et cetera, et cetera. Largely, a lot of it was to do with the trading at the time that, uh, you know, the bit of spreads couldn't be tight enough because the markets weren't, uh, were underlying markets weren't liquid enough. But since then, uh, you know, they've really taken off. And, uh, and really, I think it's a sort of next stage development of what used to be sector ETFs, which were very much driven by, uh, you know, very stringent uh, data requirements called the GICs uh, sector analysis, where I think that they were quite unwieldy, really, in terms of giving uh, the right sort of exposures. Uh, whereas I think thematics uh, tend to be far more surgical, you know, and far more driven by sort of themes that are happening in the world. And, uh, you know, as we've seen very acutely with, uh, with the coronavirus uh, scenario, megatrends, uh, as they're commonly called, coming to very much uh, uh, play and, and being expedited by the coronavirus. So, so I think thematics are just a great way to pay future trends. And, uh, you know, they really resonate well with uh, retail investors who, you know, probably in the back of their head, you know, from a common sense perspective, uh, you know, can tell what's, uh, what's happening in the world, you know, whether it's the work from home trend or, you know, whether it's medical advancements such as the vaccines, etc., or even, uh, you know, stuff out there as far as like space travel or whatever. I mean, there's even a space ETF in the US. And I think these sorts of uh, thematic plays are a great way for investors to sort of add some, uh, you know, extra value to their portfolio, you know, by uh, by adding these alongside the sort of cheap core beta type exposures that what people commonly understand as ETFs. So Hector, why don't you make the case for why a retail investor should opt for a thematic ETF in their portfolio rather than just accepting the kind of broad passive market exposure that many ETF investors have right now? Yeah, well, Tom, I think the the, the sort of uh, view I have is in terms of when you're constructing your portfolios for uh, for investment, the core ETFs provide a really good tool in terms of giving you really cheap passive exposure. As we've seen, you know, a lot of this sort of old active world uh, that's out there in the mutual fund world, you know, really is what, what we classically call benchmark huggers. So they really provide you you know, with very similar exposures to things like the S&P 500 or, or the FTSE 100 or whatever, you know, and don't really provide you alpha over above those. So if you can get nice, cheap exposure for the majority of your portfolio, you can have that multi-asset, you can have equities, you can have bonds, you can have commodities and alternatives, 
you know, but I think where thematics fit are probably in that sort of 20 to 15% sleeve of your portfolio where you want to add a little bit of spice or uh, diversification, you know, into the portfolio, which obviously the core products can't do, you know, they can't flex themselves to, uh, you know, something like the coronavirus or whatever you get, you know, you get the beta story of the market, you know, whereas uh, when something like this happens, you might want to be uh, more surgical in what you're doing, you know, and you might sort of want to get into cloud computing or to e-commerce or all these types of themes, which, uh, you know, suddenly get expedited in the environment. So I think that's where thematics come into play for that sort of outlier, uh, you know, 15 to 20% sleeve where you can, uh, you know, you can tweak your portfolio to be more, uh, more responsive to the market. So one of your most successful ETFs in 2020 was uh, EMQQ. It's a thematic ETF focused on e-commerce and internet companies in emerging markets. Perhaps you could explain how this ETF came about and, and then why it's done so well lately. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible ETF, to be honest. It's uh, actually on a 12-month basis. It's just done under 80% return, which is, which is almost insane, I think, for any broader exposure. The index itself has been around for about five years. And uh, it's been an ETF in the US, and uh, we, we, it was actually our first ETF we, uh, we brought out uh, at the end of 2018. Uh, and essentially what it looks at is it sort of looks at the emerging markets and, uh, and frontier markets and sort of says, well, actually, if, if, if uh, I'm investing in those markets, what is the, uh, what is the real story, the macro story to, uh, to what's happening in those economies? And, uh, and largely it's an e-commerce uh, story because... Uh, you know, when you look across the world, whether it's Asia, Africa or uh, South America, people are, uh, you know, bypassing, you know, the usual uh, shopping malls and uh, the usual infrastructure we take for granted in the West. You know, and they use their mobile phones pretty much for everything, payments, for communication, for purchasing, you know. So, uh, so there's been a huge amount of growth of companies uh, in that sort of space from the likes of uh, Alibaba and Tencent to uh uh, to Badu, you know, to uh, companies like Mercado Libre or Germany in Africa, you know. And this ETF, you know, has, has picked up those companies. And, uh, and what's been amazing about it, it initially started off with about 40 stocks. It's now well over 100. It added 20 in its recent rebalance just before Christmas. That world is uh, spawning, uh, you know, new companies all the time. And uh, I think it was Ian Wise said it's the biggest single economic opportunity of, of all time. And it's just a real play on that burgeoning middle class. Plus, from the other side of it is you don't get the sort of negative allocations you get in some emerging market products such as state-owned enterprises you know uh, companies that are owned by the uh, part owned by the say for example the chinese communist party a lot of these e-commerce companies are either listed in the us or outside of uh, of uh, of the various markets so they're a lot more uh, transparent and uh, open to better corporate governance and as i say the, the you know the return has been insane uh, you know it's been about just under 100 percent since since inception and we think a lot still has got a long long way to go so another one of your thematic ETFs that has done well this year has been the medical cannabis and wellness ETF. Uh, obviously not, not nearly as well as EMQQ, but they've still done pretty well. I wonder if you could explain what happened here and, and explain the ETF. Yeah, it's almost that it's a 12-month birthday, actually, and uh, it's just done just over 30% return. It was probably one of the hardest ETFs we've found to actually get out into the market. There's a huge, been a huge growth of, uh, of cannabis companies, obviously, in uh, Canada and the US. Unbeknownst to most people, if uh, companies involved in the recreational side of cannabis, then uh, which is legal uh, at the state level in the US and completely legal in Canada, it's actually still illegal in places like the UK. Uh, but people still uh, buy the underlying uh, securities, uh, which they're probably not aware that uh, that actually they should be reporting that to the uh, to the National Crime Office uh, uh, under the Proceeds of Crime Act. <laughs> so, so what's great about the uh, CBDX, which is the ticker? 
is uh, it sort of has all those legal protections. So, uh, you know, part of the screening in the index is the actual security has got to be legal in the markets where it's either listed or sold. And, you know, it's currently listed in Germany and the UK, for example. But it's actually, you know, a hugely uh, growth area. You know, uh, I always say the biggest single investment case for the product is that it, it really is this, you know, the single biggest killer in the US is uh, for, for, for middle-aged men is uh, opiate abuse, which is obviously, you know, derived from painkillers. Cannabis is actually probably one of the only uh, viable non-addictive alternatives for pain relief, uh, you know, so that's been a, been a, been a huge growth area. And we, we expect this to be one of the biggest gainers from the, uh, the, Biden, uh, the Biden election win, because there's been a lot of talk about legalizing cannabis at the federal level which, you know, should see a massive boom. And probably, uh, Tom, one thing that a lot of people don't realise, actually, Britain is the largest exporter of uh, legal cannabis in the world. We have one of the most successful cannabis companies, medical cannabis companies called GW Pharma, uh, which actually listed on the NASDAQ, which is a British company, and uh, and they grow all their uh, cannabis here and export it. So they, I think they're the only firm in the world uh, that's got FDA-approved drugs already in the uh, medical cannabis space. So we're seeing this as a very emergent sector, and one uh, we think is uh, is ideal for, uh, pardon the pun, for future growth. So uh, it's an incredibly uh, interesting sector. And one of the things we do actually at hand that people, you know, if they want to know more about the underlying uh, markets, we publish a monthly report for each fund, which looks at what's going in inside the market, the macro and the micro level. You know, if they want to keep track of some of these industries, they can definitely go and look at those monthly reports. Yeah, I definitely recommend uh, listeners go and read those occasionally. Uh, another one of your more unique ETFs, is Alarian Midstream Energy Dividend ETF provides exposure to energy companies uh, involved in the processing, transportation, storage of oil and gas in the US and Canada? Because it provides a pretty generous yield right now. So, why don't you tell us more about that? Yeah, I think this is this is one to really look for in uh, 2021, especially you know as the vaccine kicks in and the, and the normal economy returns to uh, to action. What they call MLPs uh, and uh, midstream companies, you know, are uh, sort of SPVs that are set up in the US. And they invest in long-term lease agreements, you know, so the sort of revenues are very, uh, very stable, uh, you know, unlike a lot of the sort of big oil majors, etc. And this allows them, uh, they also have a tax treatment where they can pass through the dividends uh, straight through to uh, end investors. So, uh, you know, at its peak, I think the yield on uh, MMLP, which is the ticker, was around about 11%. I think it's around about 9% now. And historically, over the last five years, has been about seven percent, seven to eight percent. I think eighty-two percent of the companies, uh, the, Can- the Canadian and U.S. companies, are eighty-two uh, percent is investment grade as well. So you get an investment grade index with a yield of around about nine, ten percent, which is pretty incredible uh, at the moment. We also think this will be a real recovery trade as well for twenty twenty-one. You know, as the real economy uh, starts to kick back in. So, at Alarian, interestingly, uh, you know, part of the hand model is we work with. You know, very, very interesting third-party uh, uh, asset managers. And Alarian is the leading uh, index provider in the world for uh, for MLPs and midstream indices. And they've got about 20 billion of assets tracking their indices globally. You know, so these guys have been doing this for 20 years and they provide some fantastic research to support this this sector and this product. So it's definitely worth uh, worth having a look at that product going forward for your investors, if they're, particularly if they're looking for a, a real stable yield uh, type play. For those who don't want to invest in uh, any, anything to do with oil or gas, um, you also have the iClima Global Decarbonisation Enablers ETF. So talk us through this one. 
Yeah, that's that's a great segue, <laughs> that Tom. Well done. You can feel bad and good in uh, two trades. Is that what is that what you're saying? Yeah. Interestingly, uh, iClimb is our newest uh, ETF, and actually it's been really popular. It's taken about a million dollars a week at the moment, and it's uh, about 150 securities, so it's very diversified. I think the, the maximum hold is about two percent. It's really got a really nice uh, strategy, which is pretty unique in the world. You know, a lot of the ESG uh, carbon-related ETFs out there focus on the carbon footprint of the firm and, you know, trying to uh, screen based on that. Uh, whereas iClimber has sort of sort, sort of four categories where they uh, screen companies based on their, uh, their their contribution to the decarbonization story. For instance, you know, it's got companies like Zoom in there that sort of cut down travel and meetings, etc., so it grades companies based on, uh, you know, how they're sort of aiding that decarbonization story. That's why they call them decarbonization enablers. So it really does go that one step further for people who want to get that uh, sort of Paris Accord decarbonization story. And it's only been out for a couple of months, but the index itself has returned, I think, just under 20% already. So again, with a sort of Biden victory, we think, and he's, and he's sort of green, focus on the Green Deal. We feel this is going to be a really good play for that sort of uh, story in uh, 2021. So one to really look out for. And uh, as you said before, you know, you can feel pretty good about it as well when you're investing in it, which is which is fantastic. <laughs> now, uh, another big theme in ETF investing lately has been active ETFs. Uh, and to some listeners, this may sound as a bit of an oxymoron because ETFs have become somewhat synonymous with passive or index investing. So Hector, could you explain what's going on here? Yeah, it's funny because I think that the next wave of the ETF market is, is going to be in the active space. I mean, look, the reality is that, you know, in Europe, we've still got 90% of our AUM in investments in the, you know, the so-called active space. People often conflate the ETF wrapper with passive. You know, they often talk about it interchangeably. But ultimately, you know, we just see ETFs as a, as a piece of technology. So, you know, we liken it to, uh, you know, diesel cars versus electric cars or, or mobile phones versus landlines. And ultimately, we believe whether it's three, five or 10 years time that, uh, you know, everything that's got daily liquidity will end up in the ETF wrapper simply because it's so much easier. You, you know yourself, Tom, with firms like your, like your own, it's so much easier for clients to put a uh, portfolio together using ETFs. You know, it's cheap, transferable, it's liquid. You know, they can make instantaneous decisions. They don't have to fill forms in a wait a week. You know, to get returns back, I always say, you know, mutual funds are the only things in the world where you uh, you buy it before you know the price, which is a bit weird. You know, you wouldn't turn up to a Porsche garage and say, uh, I like the red one over there. Uh, can I buy it? And the and the uh, sales guy would say, uh, yeah, you can buy it. Say, how much is it? Say, well, I can't tell you till tomorrow, right? It's not modern consumerism, in my, my opinion. There's also quite interestingly a trend in the US uh, over the last year where uh, over half of the new filings in the ETF market are in the active space. Uh, and it's really because the SEC over there has allowed a certain type of active management to uh, to be in the ETF wrapper. And there's a tax advantage to the ETF wrapper over the mutual fund wrapper in the US, which actually was the cause for the passive market to move uh, to the ETF wrapper in the first case from the mutual fund. So I think the same journey is going on in the US from, uh, from the uh, mutual fund wrapper for active into the ETF wrapper. And usually what happens there happens here, whether it's three to five years or whatever it is. And we just want to be ahead of that. And if you look at a lot of the big uh, traditional asset managers out there, you know, they'll have OICs, they'll have USITs, they'll have uh, structured products or, you know, whatever the uh, hedge funds. They'll have all sorts of wrappers. It's just whatever's the most appropriate thing to deliver to the clients. And because the European ETF market is catching the US up rapidly, you know, we're well over a trillion dollars of assets now. Clients, when they're building their portfolios, will want active ETFs in that uh, portfolio, the same as they have passive or alternatives or smart beta. So, uh, and wanting to work with smart asset managers out there 
you know, we want to work with good active managers who can do uh, who can do good things. And I still believe that where markets are inefficient, active management still has a role to play. If you think about an index, if a, if a gold mining company, uh, you know, finds a, an unexpected uh, uh, seam of gold, you know, an index can't react to that, right? Where the, an active manager can. So I think from a discovery perspective, there's still room for an active manager to uh, to play their part. But I still believe that, you know, passive will still start to keep eating into the, uh, you know, what I called before the benchmark huggers. But I think the true active guys will have a place to play in the future. And uh, we certainly will be, uh, you know, will be big providers to that. Yeah, so there's not many uh, active ETFs available in Europe right now. I think the only one we have on our platform is is your own, Sanlam Active Sharia Global Equity ETF. Do you want to explain what's behind how this ETF works? I think people should ignore the Sharia uh, part of the name, unless obviously they're Islamic investors. You know, I do think that uh, uh, Amal, as the uh, ticker is, is, uh, is, is pretty interesting for any investor, actually, because it's really leaning into the uh, Sanlam, UK Sanlam uh, uh, active management team that managed just under £2 billion of active money in, in sort of high quality growth equity stories. And we've taken their footprint and their uh, IP because Sanlam's the manager and they manage this uh, this ETF. So actually, his performance has been pretty uh, pretty good. I actually own it myself in my portfolio. And then obviously, from an Islamic investor's perspective, there's a Sharia screen to all the companies that go in there, which, again, from an ESG perspective, is usually pretty good because I always think that uh, Sharia principles were the first sort of real form of uh, uh, institutionalized ESG. You know, and there's always a lot of uh, a lot of parallels between ESG and Sharia. So I think there's sort of three groups that can look at this. You know, the Islamic investors, general investors who are looking for those sort of expertise uh, in uh, sort of high growth uh, quality equity investments and uh, and also those who, uh, you know, have concerns about the planet as well. So I think it's a great, uh, great fund uh, from that perspective. And we've probably got a few more sort of active ESG strategies coming in the next uh, in the next couple of months as well, which uh, watch this space. So what are the other future trends and ETFs that you think investors should be aware of? Well, I think they're they're here to stay, uh, and I think we're going to have going to have more products rather than uh, rather than less. And I hope that uh, you know people like Han, you know, can uh, can uh, hold the uh, the feet of the likes of iShares to the fire, really, and uh, you know keep them honest and keep them innovative, you know. And that's really what I think is going to be the trends. I mean, we talked a little bit about uh, the active markets. Uh, you know, I do think. You know, there's a lot more room for thematics. I mean, we're aiming to have, you know, around about 15 to 20 new ETFs a year. I would say probably at least half of those will be in the uh, in the thematic space. I mean, obviously, ESG is huge now. Uh, I mean, you probably, you know, have the, uh, I think it's the iShares Clean Energy product, which which pretty much is number one on most most platforms, uh, yeah. you know, as we speak, you know. So, so that's obviously pointing the way, you know. And I think Europe, actually, funny enough, is ahead of the U.S., uh, on the ESG story, so uh, so I think we'll see we'll see more of that. I think even to the point where some of these, you know, I always do divide ESG into light, medium, and heavy. And the big supermarket ETF providers like iShares, etc., have done a good job on that sort of light ESG type products. You know, whether it's sort of MSCI index with it with an ESG screen. Uh, but I'll see. I think you'll see more medium and heavy type. I mean, I will put the the, the sort of climate CLMA product into the sort of medium uh, bucket. And then sort of the active world would be more the heavy bucket, you know, where you want to have a big impact uh, investing. But I think ESG, you know, and, and sort of thema- thematic tech, you know, will probably be the big stories for 2021, I reckon, uh, in the in the ETF space. And uh, and I think you'll see more innovation. I mean, there's good, other good guys out there doing, 
similar jobs to us, you know. But I think that, uh, you know, our long-term goal for Han is to be, you know, 150, 200 ETFs, you know, across 30 managers, you know, and sort of be the first multi-manager uh, ETF platform. So I think we're we're definitely going to be bringing something different, you know, I think added value to the uh, to the marketplace. And I think hopefully we'll show the way for more innovation to come along as well, because I think the big problem we have is there's a lot of those sort of supermarket providers out there who are sort of all competing in the same space, which, you know, sometimes isn't the best environment for, uh, for innovation, really. Great. Thanks for that, Hector. And thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time.